So and then we shake with around six or eight ice cubes. No. We shake very fast and strong. So we taste. Yeah, that's good. That is the voice of the understated Carlos Mondragon, former bartender at Central Restaurant in Lima, Peru, as he made one of this planet's great beverages, the Pisco Sour. Along with Twitter fights and long calls to the unemployment office and heartfelt conversations with your new sourdough starter, alcohol seems to be a defining obsession of this pandemic. I will leave it to the rehabbers and 12-steppers to clean up the mess afterwards. This week, I just need a drink. But not a box of wine or something utilitarian like that. I want something escapist, evocative, alluring. I want a cocktail, damn it. Something with a little class. And this week, I'm taking the trip to Angola, Japan, and Austria to get it. That means tequila cucumber elixirs with Ioana Morelli in Hokkaido, Japan. That means a Sichuan pepper daiquiri with Alexa Van Sickle in Vienna. And to start it all off, a beachfront gin and hot pepper drink in Luanda, Angola with Claudio Silva, the founder of Luanda Cocktail Week. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip, The World on Lockdown. Now here's Claudio. Let me ask you how how the pandemic is going in Luanda. What does it feel like to you? Here in Luanda, we have about uh, 52 confirmed cases, and we've had three deaths wow. so far. That's like my building in New York. <laughs> right. I, I can imagine it's completely different from, from what you're experiencing in, in New York City. But how crazy, because you can't even... People must be just going out of their mind because it's not it's not an actual problem, and yet there's a couple of interesting things about the about the pandemic here in Angola. The first one is that the vast majority of cases uh, were imported from Portugal, so there were about three particular flights that landed in Luanda from Lisbon, right right around the the middle of March, and those were the first confirmed COVID cases in Angola. The other issue we have is that we're not doing widespread testing. So, you know, as just like anywhere else in the world, we don't know exactly for sure how many cases we have. We just know based on the number of tests we've made. And this, this number is 52. Of those 52, about 30 of them are active. So the government embarked on a huge campaign to try to instill in people the severity of the situation. And anyways, we've had to close down the country regardless. So it has been really hard on, on people, especially for people in, in the tourism sector and especially for people who, who live hand to mouth, basically, which is the majority of our population. So you had mentioned the, the tourism sector getting uh, hit hard. And this is obviously, you know, your your life's work. I mean, in this pandemic now, have you been tilting your your kind of 
your activity and your muscles towards building up that domestic? I mean, obviously, that's the first thing that's going to return before international travelers. So I run a company called LNL, which is short for Luanda Nightlife. Although Nightlife is in the name, we talk about and write about all kinds of things related to tourism, travel, uh, food, and restaurants. And we're not just talking about Luanda, we're talking about Angola as a whole, Angola as a destination worth visiting. And I'm obviously biased to say this, but I think we have a beautiful country, but not many people know about it. So we're very much focused on creating content that will showcase the gifts that our country has to offer to the wider world, starting with ourselves. We, you know, we, we try to promote as much as possible internal tourism. We try to promote Angolans traveling within Angola because, again, as soon as we get some vacation time and some money in the bank account, people will head off to Portugal or Brazil or South Africa rather than getting to know their own country. So we're trying to, we're trying to book that trend with a variety of, of events, like we do an event called Angola Hotel Week, where we convince Angola's major hotels to, to slash their prices and offer up to 40% discounts. Uh, we run Angola Restaurant Week, which is very similar to New York Restaurant Week, but we, it's not just a single city, it's not just Luanda. We also, we also do, we also include restaurants in Benguela, uh, our second city. We include restaurants in Lobango and so forth. So right now our, our airspace is closed and um, you, you're not allowed into or out of Luanda. So the rest of the country can travel already within the country, but Luanda is still under lockdown. And when this is finally lifted, obviously people are not going to be leaving Angola for the time being. Um, and even when our airspace is, is finally able to, um, it's finally open to the public, I suspect that most people will remain in the country and for travel and tourism purposes, I think, I think their focus is going to be on, on getting to know the country a little bit better. Um, obviously countries like Portugal and the US have many more thousands of cases than we do. And I personally feel safer right now in a country like Angola where there's where we're still in the double digits of, of, of infections, as far as we know. Oh, definitely. So, I, yeah, so I, I am, you know, and there's many people that think like me. <laughs> I would love to be in Angola right now <laughs> for many reasons, right. but safety is actually one of them, too. So, right. Uh, so, yeah. that's a, exactly as you mentioned, Nathan. So, the focus right now, as it already was for us, was promoting internal travel, and now people won't actually have a choice. So, we're gearing up for for increased traffic and increased content dealing with destinations in Angola. Tell me about Cocktail Week. Is it still going to happen? It's in the fall, right? So there might be yeah, time. Yeah, actually, we, we do it, we do it in, the, in December. So December is our summer where you guys are freezing to death in, <laughs> in the United States. We're, we're out, out and about in the beach drinking cocktails. Oh, man. And that sounds nice. So this is something that we do at least, at least once a year. And uh, so the cocktail culture here in Ang here in Luanda especially is growing definitely, and you're starting to see more and more bars and restaurants embracing cocktail culture and embracing the art of making a cocktail. And uh, that's how Luanda Cocktail Week came about. Is basically a platform for the best bartenders in the country to to show their wares. So during the during the, this one, usually we do it over ten days. We handpick the best bars and restaurants in the country to, or sorry, in Luanda to create a an exclusive Luanda Cocktail Week menu. 
and it gives these barmen the opportunity to experiment with you know some local ingredients and, and these global brands. So it's one of, it's one of our, it's definitely one of our favorite events. All right, so tell me about a particular drink uh, that you are looking forward to taking. I don't know, maybe on the island of Luanda, <laughs> you know, like right, summertime. Yeah. Uh, what's 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 going to be your jam then? So there's a couple of cocktails that I really like, and they're they're pretty refreshing um, to drink during summer. One of them is at this place called Café del Mar, which, as you might imagine, is a beachside restaurant. They have a really nice um, ocean view, couches and ocean breeze, and, and it's right on the, the actual beach. You can actually go into the water if you want. And they have this cocktail there, which in Portuguese is called Jindungu no Gelo, which, is, which basically translates to, um, oh, how do you say Jindungu? Something spicy on ice. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's something spicy. It's made with ice. exactly. It's made with Hendrix gin or any other gin you want. It's made with uh, green tea, um, ginger, and lemon juice. So it's quite refreshing, and the ginger adds a little bit of that uh, that spicy kick you get. And that's something that they actually created for Luana Cocktail Week. So gin, green tea. Uh, ginger and lemon juice that's one of my favorites now you are you are uh notably a very well turned out dude um what is a summer like what's a summer kit like how do you how do you go down to the beach this has obviously got to be a scene right do people wear pants and full like no just flip-flops nathan just like straight up <laughs> like my bathing trunks and uh, t-shirt and flip-flops it's a utilitarian <laughs> get down to right. it beach wear exactly Exactly. One of the beautiful things about living here in Luanda is that I'm about from my front door of my apartment to the beach is 15 minutes. And uh, I've been known to, you know, if I have a, a little break from the office or if I, if I know I won't have any meetings in the afternoon, I'll just go to the beach, stay for about an hour and then just go back to the office. So you take that pocket square and you cast it aside. You just stripping down to your beach clothes <laughs> as you're running down to the beach ready at any that moment is correct. oh man right i love it it sounds yeah. free that's not that's not pandemic yeah, it's, talk it's, it's great that's freedom no. right there that's beautiful right. we can't we can't wait to go back to the beach it's a little hazy but i think i met joanna morelli's cat before i ever met her Somehow me and my crew ended up cat-sitting for her and her dude Hisashi for a week in the ski town of Niseko, Hokkaido, years ago. It was only later, as we did some outlandish things together, like fly a Kaiseki master to New York City for a book launch with Bourdain, that I realized that Ioana is an international rock star of hospitality and hustle. It is no surprise that Gubar, her and Hisashi's first speakeasy, is consistently rated among the best bars in all Japan. I talked to her in Hokkaido, which is opening up a bit this week, about Japanese whiskey, bunny bars, and her favorite cocktail of the season. Walk me through walking to Gyu Bar and what that experience is like for, uh, for someone coming in. So there's only one set of lights in town and you walk down this hill and you gotta kind of find the bar. It's a tiny little um, hideaway in the snow banks of Niseko. The little door is about half of your height 
and you got to crawl through the door basically to get in. When you come in, it's kind of a warm environment. We, everything feels really analog. We play vinyls. There's bartenders shaking cocktail shakers, uh, jazz music playing on the really cool speakers that we have. And we've got this view. We used to have a big forest behind the window of the bar. Uh, they've since cut down the forest for a new development. Having said that, it's still really pretty. You can see a lot of the snow falling and we have these giant windows behind the bar. The light is almost like, um, it feels non-electric, right? It's all candlelights. We keep yeah. the lights on low. <laughs> Fair enough, as any good bar should. All right, who's who's behind the bar? What are they making? What's uh, what's 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 Q's like sort of main drink? It's a cocktail bar, but for those who know, it's also a whiskey bar. We've got a really big selection of rare Japanese whiskeys that we've collected over the years. So, if you sit down at the bar and you have no idea, you're sitting in front of all these really gorgeous whiskeys. If you wanted to try them, and um, and if not, then you're having a really nice cocktail. I I know about these whiskeys. I've never, I don't think I've ever accomplished anything so difficult as to be at your place for a week or so, cat sitting and leaving your incredible whiskey collection in peace. You didn't drink <laughs> any of the whiskey? I think you would like, you had set out a little bit. It's like, here's the, you know, here's some whiskey. Of course, you, uh, are, are uh, wonderful that way. That whole collection that looks like a, a, a medical museum, you know, <laughs> just like all these different little vials with, you know, handwritten paper tags strung around their neck of like very rare and bizarre and wonderful seeming whiskeys. That, that pantry was there just basically mocking me uh, <laughs> the whole time we were there. Um, but I did, I did my part, uh, you know, not being a teenager anymore. It's not, uh, it's no good to be sneaking other people's whiskey, but the collection is, I mean, even back then was amazing. I'm sure it's just gotten deeper and funkier and infinitely more valuable as Japanese whiskey is like become like plutonium. Yeah. The, the price of Japanese whiskey definitely went up almost like a silver lining, I guess, of this whole virus thing is that a lot of people are selling off their whiskey. So if you're in the mood to buy some rare Japanese, I think there's a few people looking to offload a couple of rare bottles. The price has only gone down a little bit, but. Yeah, right. I guess I've got to find the Venn diagram between mood and capacity. Uh, but it does seem like I have this little Hakushu, these small bottles of Hakushu 12, which is, you know, an Aldi wine compared to the shit that you can get into. Um, but even that has been very sustaining for me. Yeah, um, gone are the days where you could go to, we live close to Yoichi Distillery, which is Nika's first distillery up here in Hokkaido. And gone are the days where you could walk in there, grab a bottle of single cask, 20 year old Yoichi and drink it on the streets with Matt Goulding um, in Tokyo. <laughs> they are they are gone. They they somehow they have to come back again. It, it might Im not involve twenty years single cast. Um, tell me about Early Bird Sapporo. Early Bird. What is, what we, is that? We opened. I don't know if if anybody's ever been to a back alley in Tokyo and sat at one of those tiny little bars in Golden Guy or something like that. 
um, where there's only six seats or sometimes even less, three, four seats, um, you know, you just think, oh my God, how can this, how can this place ever survive? How can this be a real business, right? Uh, I thought the same thing, but I've lived in Japan for long enough to know that it is possible. So last year we decided to open a six-seater in the heart of the entertainment district in Sapporo, Suskino. It's arguably the biggest entertainment area in Japan. Is that like a euphemism for red light district or is it just a healthy mix of pachinko and red light and nightclub? And Let's go with healthy mix. I mean, there's hostess bars, there's host bars, there's all sorts of things going on. There's bunny bars. There's What is a bunny bar? <laughs> oh, shit. This episode has to pivot now. It's different from... All about bunny bars. It's different from a bunny cafe, which would be a cafe where you go and you pet rabbits. Um, sort of the adult version of that, where you go and you drink with girls dressed as Playboy bunnies. The bunny bar. The bunny bar. Do you like do you like how I'm feigning ignorance? <laughs> uh, so you're you're there. You're among the the hostess bars, the host bars, the bunny bars, uh, the food stalls, and what what. What is Early Bird doing in, in that kind of ecosystem? We made a little classy cocktail bar, I guess you could say, in the middle of that, on top of a really old izakaya. It's on the second floor of, a, of one of the more legendary spots in Suskino. Um, it's in an alleyway, and you have to go up to the second floor, and there's you know records playing and one bartender uh, making cocktails and six seats. So it's a really cute little little spot if you wanted to relax from the bunny bars around the corner. You are worried about early bird coming out of coronavirus, right? How do you how do you manage something that traffics in analog intimacy um, as we get out of this thing? Yeah, I mean, I think most places in Siskino are in the same boat. A lot of these businesses are really small. Um, they don't have a lot of ventilation. They're on the ninth floor of a building, and on that floor there might be ten other businesses, you know, in these tiny little little spots. So keeping people one and a half meters apart is pretty much impossible. I think that would be two people in Early Bird at a time. Right now we don't have Early Bird open. We also had another bar in the back of a hostel, really cool hostel, uh, right by the, the Hokkaido University called Garden Bar, we, we planted our own garden. We would do edible flowers and herbs and things. We'd use those in the cocktails and it was a really fun outside concept. Um, but both of those bars are not possible right now. Of, of course, the hostel's not doing well and they've taken government subsidy for for um, keeping homeless people. I guess people that lived in 24-hour manga cafes, I don't know if you know about those, but a lot of homeless people in Japan live in 24-hour sort of businesses so 24-hour manga cafes or video cafes or whatever where you go and you get a big chair you sit in a little cubicle and you can sleep there overnight so a lot of those people because those places had to close so a lot of those people who are really essentially homeless um, became actually homeless um, and so they've been put up in a lot of hotels and uh, and hostels and things like that so um, we can't open either of the bars really right now but our street that we're on at early bird in Siskino is a private street so we can kind of use the alleyway and we're talking right now about all the businesses on the street just putting outside alleyway um yatais essentially which is an outside food stall so we might do like a outside cocktail bar 
you know, we were going to have the Olympics, of course, and we're not having those now. Um, and Sapporo was going to host the marathon. And because of that, they canceled Beer Garden, which is Sapporo's favorite festival in the summer. They turn all of Odori Park, which is downtown, into a giant beer festival. It's like Oktoberfest, but with Japanese people. And it's just incredible. And Sapporo loves this event and they canceled it for this Olympic marathon. And I think like people really divided about it. And now that there's no there's no marathon, they kind of hinted, oh, could we have beer garden back? And I think the answer to that is also no. Um, so we're not having beer garden either. So Sapporo people who spend, you know, six months in winter and a few months of summer, we get two months of really good weather here. They just can't wait to get out and with all these festivals, every festival has been canceled, of course, and, and big gatherings, obviously not a thing. I think that sitting and eating outside with other people is going to be kind of the theme of the summer. All right. Well, no, no promises, but what if you do get an outdoor summertime cocktail situation, what do you think is going to be the, the, star, the star drink of early bird al fresco? Ooh. We've got a new spring menu that we were hoping to roll out last month. Um, we have a cocktail called the Handsome Jay. Um, Jay is JJ from a new restaurant in Sapporo called Baby Jay's Chicken. He's from San Francisco, actually. Um, and he came to learn ramen in Japan, I don't know, 10, more than 10 years ago. He went back to San Francisco. He opened the ramen shop up in Oakland. I don't know if I've ever eaten there. Okay. It's incredible ramen. I have shop. not, but I've I have heard about that. Yeah, it's really and he's good. He's good looking too. He's a handsome guy. He's a handsome guy. <laughs> and he came back with his wife and his little baby. Um and they call him Baby J and they opened Baby J Chicken. It's like a delicious fried chicken sandwich. Um his wife's a baker, Kate. She's um also from the Bay Area. She's a baker and they've got like incredible fried chicken sandwiches in Sapporo now. And uh, he makes this unbelievable hot sauce that you cannot get in Japan. Like these are things that only exist in America, you know? And he brought a bunch of that over here. We tasted it at a pop-up we did with him. We couldn't believe it. So we made a cocktail for the hot sauce. Just cucumber, lime, bit of hot sauce, shaken up on ice with tequila. I love it. All right, let's fucking do it. Soon-ish? When is this happening? Soonish. Twenty twenty one. June. <laughs> June. Juneish. I think you. I think today they lifted the emergency state of emergency for everywhere in Japan except for Hokkaido, Tokyo, and Kanagawa. So, um, so hopefully. Dude, if I tried to go from New York to Tokyo right now, they would immediately put me in like sheep dip as soon as I <laughs> landed, you know, <laughs> and then lock me away for a month. Uh, yeah, but, for sure. but maybe I don't know. After two weeks, maybe it, it'll still be June, and I'll come out being all fresh and sheep dipped and ready to go. It's worth it. It'll be worth it. Listeners will recognize Alexa Van Sickle as the longtime producer and fellow traveler of this podcast. And even in lockdown, we are still in lockstep. Drinking, please with Sichuan peppers, if possible. She joined me from her home in the leafy outer districts of Vienna, Austria, to talk about her first cocktail in a real bar outside of her house after a long lockdown. 
tell me about your first cocktail out of uh, quarantine. So this cocktail bar opened about 10 years ago. And we started going there. I think I wasn't living here at the time. Somebody brought me there, but it's it's not in the center. It's actually in the ninth district, which is sort of halfway between the burbs where I am and halfway between the set, the city center. And the, the owner, Kanzu, grew up in China, came to Austria when he was 14 and worked in a Chinese restaurant and started this place about 10 years ago after his partner ran off with all his money but still kept plugging away. And they did a really great lockdown system where they were delivering cocktails, but not just like in, you know, pre-mixed bottles. Like it came in a nice box. You could have the mixture with the mixer and the garnishes. Like, I mean, I had little cocktail umbrellas. I had marshmallows. There were candles, uh, vacuum-packed spherical ice cubes. So it was, a, it was kind of a nice thing because everything else is like, you know, case of beer, sad bottle of wine from the grocery, you know. <laughs> I went to the cocktail bar and it was something different. I mean, I can go to my bakery and have a beer. You know, they don't, <laughs> they don't separate those things. <laughs> uh, it is Austria after all, okay. But, uh, but you, wanted, you wanted a specific and, and uh, bespoke setting for, uh, for that first uh, well, freedom drink. Yeah, and I was curious and I wanted to go a little further away from where I live. Um, without actually going into the center, because that would have involved a lot more um, tra- travel. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, he has Sichuan berries, so... He does... Sorry, I buttons. S- Sichuan buttons. You had sent me uh, sent me pictures of this while you were at the bar, and they are, of course, my, my complete obsession, which is this kind of, I don't know, numbing flower or, that is used as a garnish or a as a kind of uh, palate cleanser. It, it looks like a tiny dandelion, right? Right. You know, it doesn't look like something you're meant to eat, but because it's a... Uh, okay, so what I ordered was a, a Sichuan pepper daiquiri. So the deal is that you you eat the Sichuan button and it, it numbs your mouth, and then that interacts with the thing that you're drinking. Perfect. And it was fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a bit of a body high, uh, and not yeah. just a mind high. Um, the way those Sichuan flowers work. Uh, so that's so that was your first drink was the Sichuan daiquiri. That was my first drink outside of the house, pretty much for two months. Yeah. How many people were in the in the bar? Uh, I was the first to arrive. Um, I was there for about half an hour before people started coming in, and then people started coming in fairly steadily. So. Around 6 p.m., people were coming for their reserved tables. Got it. And so they, because it was reserved then, they were able to maintain whatever distance they needed to maintain. And it's, it's a pretty big place. Uh, you know, for, for a neighborhood bar, it's pretty large. And, I mean, there's a lot of places around where I live that can't open because they cannot maintain the social distance aspect. I've heard also that there has been bars that opened in this inner city, but there's just not enough tourism flow. Obviously, in the center, you rely far more on tourism, and they just had to shut down again. And we're talking like famous, famous cafes, famous bars, who are just like, there's no point being open because there are no tourists here to take up, you know, the, the sort of business that we usually run. Plus, nobody's going for lunch at work because everyone's working from home. So that's a big that's a big loss for a lot of inner cities uh, restaurants. 
And I, I don't know if Vienna is still a work culture where you have a beer at lunch uh, or oh, some yeah. wine. <laughs> the three martini lunch had gone out of favor in New York, but uh, a while ago. But but alcohol service during a work lunch is is still a thing in some places. Then I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can do is hope that you know. However, we reimagine all all the things that we take with us from the past. One of those should be a three martini lunch so what's your next uh what's the next drink you're gonna go out and get in this town i don't know i i'm not sure i specifically choose to go to a cocktail bar but i think it might be nice to go to you know the wine taverns uh it's that season for that so you know going up into the hills into the mountains where the vineyards are and just drinking wine tell me about in uh in pre-pandemic times tell me about that wine tavern culture what what is it where is it located how does it work um well so vienna surrounded on several sides by water essentially the the very eastern foothills of the alps and on these hills grow mostly white wine and this is a tradition that dates back to the empress like maria theresa i think that there were some i don't know the emperors were doing something horrible to the people and they couldn't eat and there was a food shortage and so they allowed the farmers to also sell wine and sell their food in certain parts of the season however the the main like their best wine and best food was reserved for the you know the elite and so what you would have is you'd have a wine tavern hang a bushel outside their door saying hey we have some new wines and some pretty basic food come and eat with us and this is, I mean, this is not just Austria. This is like, you know, Habsburg territory-wide. So they have this in Slovenia, uh, lots of different places. But what it means now is that around, you know, when it gets warm, people like to go walk up the vineyards. And then August, September, that's when the wines sort of start getting picked. And you just go up there. There's some dude with an accordion. And you sit on a bench on a mountain surrounded by vineyards, and just drink wine. I mean, it's not like a super, uh, it's a very simple pleasure, but it's also very essential to Vienna. Like it's a huge part of what makes Vienna tick. So I think by then, I know they're open. I have a friend who went to one yesterday. Like I know they're open. It just might be a little bit less convivial than they would like. I love I love that idea though. A very simple pleasure. Yeah, I mean it's a fucking accordion, uh, a sunny day in the foothills of the Alps, surrounded by vineyards, drinking uh, young wines. Yes, yes, definitely. Everybody, everybody's welcome. The trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. We will post some of the recipes of these cocktails on our Instagram when we dry out a little bit. And as a reminder, these shows are free and available on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever watering hole is best for you and your podcasts. We will be back next week from Mongolia and beyond. We'll meet you there. <laughs>